Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. Now, here's your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. It's Monday, October 18th, and we are in San Diego at the annual Mortgage Banking Conference. As you can tell from the background noise, I am in the midst of the conference, and I wish you all could be here. As many of you know, I'm a big supporter of Empower, and this year was an amazing event. I wish I could transport every one of you into this meeting that happened here in San Diego on Saturday. It was so inspirational. If you are not getting your team involved in Empower, I don't know what to say. I mean, but I do encourage you to get involved with the NBA and with Empower. I am so excited about our hot topic guest this week. We've got Marina Walsh of the NBA, who's responsible research at the NBA as our hot topic guest. We caught up with her last week and gave us some great content that you're going to be listening to in just a few minutes. So stay tuned for the hot topic segment all the way through. We want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. Thank you to Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative. Both of these co-ops do a great job of helping you get to be up close and personal with other vendors. Also, the Community Mortgage Lenders of America, grateful for their support, as well as Accelerate. Also, if you're looking out to train people, check out Knowledge Coop. Mobility MMI, Mortgage Market Intelligence, does a good job, as does Modex, for creating data. Also, to our friends at SnapDoc. So great to have them as a sponsor of the podcast. So check it out. Also, I want to say a special thank you to Rob, Brandon Rapports, Les Parker, Alice Alvey, Alan, as Matt, and Jack for their contributions to the show each and every week. Welcome to the Hot Topic segment of the Lickin' on Lending podcast. Again, it is October 18th, Monday, and we are here in San Diego, California at the annual Mortgage Bankers Conference. Great conference, good attendance. I'm surprised at the number of people that actually ended up showing up for this. So I'm very excited to have the opportunity to see so many of our friends. Our special guest in the Hot Topic segment is none other than Marita Walsh. She's back with us again. Excited to have her sharing with you some of the things that she and Michael shared while at the conference on Sunday. There's some great information. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Marina Walsh. Folks, I'm excited to have Marina Walsh joining us back on the podcast. Marina is, again, one of the leaders at the MBA. She is Vice President of Industry Analysis at the Mortgage Bankers Association of America, and we're thrilled to have you joining the microphone again. David, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me. Well, and it's conference week. And so, first of all, for those that don't know you, we got a lot of new people that are entering the industry listening to this podcast. So, give our listeners, just a brief background on yourself and how you got to where you're at today? Well, sure. To start off with, I've been with Mortgage Bankers Association for over 20 years. 
In fact, I'm nearing my 21-year wow. anniversary. So a lot of years here, always with the Mortgage Bankers Association's Research and Economics Group. But way back when, prior to my time at MBA, I worked, like many of you, in public accounting with mm -hmm. Ernst & Young. I was actually in their consulting and working with real estate clients in their federal credit advisory services group, working with HUD, working with Ginny May on federal credit programs. So that's sort of where I got my start in mortgage. And then I went from there to uh, MBA and I've been here a very, very long time. Yeah, 21 Love years. It. That's awesome. <laughs> and we got to give yes. a shout out to Cornell. You're a graduate of Cornell. You got to be of eight from there as well as Columbia. So uh, shout out to your education, which your alma mater there. But it's good to have you here to talk about what is going on. It's been a little while since we've had you on the microphone. It's been September last year, but last year we talked about independent mortgage banking statistics. What's going on with IMBs? And we're certainly seeing some changes from recent years. I'd like to talk about some of the things that you're seeing that are most notable this year compared to the recent years, but also put it in context of the bigger picture, Marina. Sure. Well, I think we should start out with in terms of the shape of the industry and who's lending now versus 10 years ago. If you look at the latest Tumda data from 2020, you can see that now independent mortgage bankers hold out almost 60% of both purchases and refi originations. So that was not the case 10 years ago when the banks kind of dominated the mortgage market. And interestingly, too, is the types of products that are being originated by independents versus banks, with independents originating most of the FHA, VA, and RHS products, the government product, whereas the banks are very much focused on jumbo originations. So that's some of the differences. Obviously, another theme of 2021 and last year, 2020, is independent mortgage banks going public. There's a lot more information out there. It's exciting every quarter to hear the latest on those independent mortgage companies that have gone public. So that's something that is relatively new in the past couple years as well. And then last but not least, I would say another change over the past couple years is that not only are independents originating the majority of the originations, but they are also servicing. And so you have a bigger share of the servicing portfolios, the overall debt outstanding being serviced by independent mortgage companies or independent mortgage companies are holding the mortgage servicing rights and using a subservicer. So our big subservicers are very, very busy these days. So those are three items that I've noticed. When you look at the possible changes in rules and the net worth requirements and the potential consolidation of the servicing, how's the MBA looking at that? Well, the most important thing to MBA is to have consistency across agencies. What's worse is to have a situation where the barriers to entry are so high that we don't have as much competition in the mortgage right. space. So it's really important with the capital and liquidity requirements to have consistency, whether it's the CSBS or Fannie, Freddie, Ginny, that would certainly be helpful to independents. And then just in terms of fairness, the idea that independents are not regulated is simply not true. They certainly are regulated, and that's an important concept that we want to get across 
to those in Washington and also state regulators. Going back to thinking about the banks versus the independents and the market share, we've seen that pendulum swing. I've been in this industry for 47 years, hard to believe, but I'm going to plan to stick around for a lot more years. I love this industry and it's not work if you love what you do and I love what I do. So I'm planning to stick around. So we're looking at that pendulum swing from the regulated world, the financial institutions, the banks specifically, because like you just pointed out, it's all heavily regulated now. But if you look at that, do you anticipate, does the MBA anticipate any directional change of the pendulum and it's going to go back and favor the banks more? Or do you really see the independent mortgage bankers, the IMBs, be able to continue to dominate in the marketplace? Honestly, what MBA is most concerned about is having a level playing field. So whether you're a community bank, whether you're a credit union, whether you're a large depository, whether you're a midsize or large independent mortgage bank, there should be the ability to enter the mortgage industry and for there to be a level playing field and no significant advantages to one type of institution over another. Well, I just did an ABA webinar this last week, and I know we're going to have a lot of bankers in this. And the MBA serves the independent mortgage banking community, certainly, but they also serve the credit unions and the banks. Talk about how you are serving this diverse group, Marina. It's not easy. Sometimes the most important thing is that we listen on the policy side in particular and hear the different viewpoints. We have specific networking groups set up for all of our different market segments. So whether you're a credit union, there's a networking group for you, community banks. And so we try to have business offerings as well as policy considerations for all of these different segments of the mortgage industry. Well, you guys do a great job of supporting the entire mortgage industry, not just independents. We know Pete mm-hmm. Mills and the group there too focus on the independents, and they do an outstanding job. And we're seemingly seeing this market share shifting back and forth right now. The regulated institutions, I mean, I'm referring to the banks again, the same regulated institutions for years. And someone corrected me, Dave, do you think we're not regulated? And I said, no, we're regulated as independents. That's no question about it. But the financial institutions, they are definitely dominating in the jumble markets. Do you see any changes in that? Are we going to see more secondary market advantage spread where it's not just the banks enjoying the market share on the jumble loans, Marina? Well, just this past week, you've probably seen that there are several large independent mortgage companies that are now sort of banking on a change in the loan limits. And so they're going ahead, sort of jumping the gun and going ahead and assuming that the loan limits will go up by a certain percentage and originating ahead of that. And so there's a lot of exciting action recently in that space. I don't know if you call that jumbo. I guess it would be jumbo conforming, sellable to the agencies. But the most important thing in terms of jumbo is just having an outlet. And so as long as you have an outlet, independents are not in a position where they can hold loans in portfolio unless they buy a bank, which has been happening, or a bank buys them. And obviously, having that takeout investor in place is important. Marina, you are responsible for research there at the MBA. Some of the trends you're seeing, you've already talked a little bit about that, but is there anything that you want our listeners to know about that we should be paying attention to that you're turning up as a result of your research? Absolutely. 2020, we were on a sugar high, if you'd like to use that expression. I mean, the margins that we were seeing 
in 2020, we really had not seen before, except perhaps in 2012 with HARP refinance and things, and to a lesser extent in 2003 when we had another refi wave. So to see net production margins up at 203 basis points, 167 basis points, 137 basis points, these are all really, really great profit. In our quarterly performance report, we track the average profit on a quarterly basis going back from 2008 to the most recent quarter we have, which is the second quarter of 2021. And if you just take the simple average over those quarters, the average quarterly profit is 55 basis points. So again, big change. And it's also important to keep in mind that a lot of it was revenue driven, just high gain on sale. We'd love to think that it was all efficiencies and reduction in cost. That's not what we saw. What we saw is that it was revenue generated. And that revenue is starting to drop off now. There's upward pressure on rates. There's more pricing competition. A lot of folks have already refied. And so we see those revenues dropping down to what we consider more normal levels, which would be somewhere around 375 basis points in our quarterly performance report data. And at the same time, we have seen expenses creeped up, particularly on a per loan basis, because loan balances have gone up. And since sales expenses often linked with a percentage of the loan amount, we're seeing higher per loan sales expenses in particular. So unfortunately, the story is revenues down, expenses up, but at least through the second quarter of 2021, very strong overall profits still. But based on recent roundtables that we conducted, there's definitely margin compression into third quarter already. So I expect that profits will drop further from there. And that competition is especially keen in the third-party channels, broker wholesale and correspondent channels. And once it hits those channels, then it usually bleeds into retail and consumer direct as well. So this happens before, David. We've been through other cycles before where lenders start chasing that market share at the expense of the profits. And right now, our volume is still pretty high based on the quarterly performance report. It's still at a very, very high level in terms of average volume, but the profits are what's dropping down a bit. Are you anticipating an increased amount of mergers and acquisitions, M&A? activity as a result of these revenues down, expenses up? Yeah, or just exits. I hope we're not back to a situation that we were 10, 12 years ago when we had the implodometer. Hopefully we're not there. But yeah, I remember in 2018, which was a pretty dreary year for mortgage banking, and a lot of owners of independent mortgage companies were saying, maybe it's time to retire. Maybe this is it. And then sure enough, things started to pick up up in the second half of 2019, and then we had the pandemic. And so they're kind of riding this wave. So surely whenever there's a downturn, there are going to be those that survive those with a heavy purchase focus, because there is still heavy, heavy demand for purchase loans per our forecast. Those that can survive it, but Surely, there are going to be those that wonder if this is too hard. (laughs) I think there's always that temptation, but you look at these trends, you look at the demographics, and in your research, 
how much time do you spend looking at demographics and studying the first-time home buyers? Well, in terms of my work, I, I really focus on the profitability of mortgage okay. companies, but we have two economists on staff who spend almost their whole time working on those economic trends, along with Mike Frattantoni, our chief economist. And so I do to some extent, for instance, in our quarterly performance report, we've broken out revenues, expenses, profitability, product mix based on geographic region. And that's been pretty well received because obviously a California is not necessarily the same as an Indiana. Mm -hmm. And so having some of the breakouts for the high revenue, high cost models versus lower revenue, lower cost models is helpful. And so, of course, in our national delinquency survey and our new monthly loan monitoring report for forbearances that's going to start up in November will have state-by-state information in that. And we also track it in our Humda reporting and our quarterly state profiles that's available to all of our MBA members for free, by the way. I had to get that in, David. (laughs) Marina, I'm glad you brought up about the importance of membership because there's so much that the MBA does give away to their members. And I think this may be a good chance to talk about membership for a minute because the research is what's so valuable, I think. Well, obviously, membership is very important from a policy and a lobbying standpoint. But in terms of MBA research specifically, we have our free to members chart of the weeks that come out every Friday delivered to you that has information on recent releases from our studies, or it has recent data, and you get the full archives going back four years. So you can look at whether it's related to costs, whether it's related to the labor market, we have it there. You can get those updated as MBA members for free as part of your membership. And so that's a really great benefit. In addition to just basic commentary on the economy, we have our forecasts for both the economic forecasts and the mortgage market forecasts that are updated on a monthly basis. We have state profile information, as I mentioned. We have our quarterly research insights publication that includes both resi and commercial multifamily charts, sort of like the greatest hits of our chart of the week. (laughs) So those are some of the benefits, but that's just hits the tip of the iceberg. We have 50 different products and services in MBA research available to our MBA members. We certainly got to give a shout out to the education department because they do so much to help educate in the CMB program. And you're a recent CMB member. Join us. So proud of you. I know. I know. I got it during COVID. I studied the summer of 2020 and received my CMB in September of last year. But I get to walk the red carpet in less than a week on the MBA convention to officially be welcomed welcomed into the CMB Society. Well, congratulations. I went through the class. I just have to get back to just taking the test and getting it done. It's just a procrastination of it all. But I'm so proud of you and so excited to get my CMB designation. recommend anyone listening to this podcast that's considering it, do so. It is so worth it. Just going through the classes and everything that's there, it'll just give you such a foundation for your career. You were talking about the conference, some of the trends, and you and Michael Frantoni, the chief economist for the NBA, do such a great job in a joint presentation at every one of these conferences. Can you give us some insights into what you're going to be talking about? It's going to be Sunday at 4 o'clock. We're starting off the conference with the mortgage market outlook. 
And in addition to Mike Frattentoni and myself, Joel Kahn, our associate Joel. vice president of forecasting and surveys, will be joining us as well. So all three of us, you get the dynamic trio. It's going to be very concentrated. We have about an hour of it. So we're going to cover a lot of information in terms of some tidbits on what we're going to cover. Obviously, a lot of information coming out just this past week on inflation, yesterday, the labor market. And so we will have the October forecast to present. And so that'll include the latest on new home sales, existing home sales, purchase originations, refi originations, and all the great economic data, GDP growth, inflation, unemployment, and of course, interest rate. So we're going to cover that. Also, Joel is going to concentrate on some of the trends in the weekly application survey data and focus a little bit on housing statistics. We know that the home price appreciation has just been going bonkers this past year and a half. And so he'll focus on some of that, see what's in store in terms of housing inventory, existing and new home sales. So plenty to cover talk about home equity too. And then last but not least, of course, I'll be the third in line talking about lender performance, revenues, costs, productivity, what we're seeing on the servicing side of the business too, especially as many borrowers are exiting forbearance after they reach their 18-month forbearance expiration and what's going to happen to them when they exit forbearance. Can't wait to do that. We're recording this the week before, and so it's anticipating it being in the usual spot, which was on a Tuesday. So that's good to know you're leading off of that. I think that's so important. And it's not too late for you to get into this conference. We're airing this on Monday, but for those of you in the area, please drive in. The speakers are outstanding. The sessions are really good. I'm sure this conference has been impacted by COVID, but it sounds like you're meeting the numbers and expectations. This is great news. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, we're at close to 3,500 registrants, I believe, based on what I heard yesterday. So doing really well, made the numbers that we were targeting, and we have a wonderful speaker lineup. In addition to the usual policymakers, we have my favorite, Malcolm Gladwell, has a great podcast, and I don't know how many of your listeners like One Republic, but I'm catching a red eye so I can stay to see One Republic. And here, One Republic. (laughs) I'm so looking forward to that one. Malcolm Gladwell is one of those speakers that I just enjoy so much. And his podcast is one of the ones that on my bookmark, I listen to it regularly. So that's great. Yeah, it'll be good. And I'm going to try to get down and get a book signing done with him as well. And there's so many other opportunities for the networking. And I think when you look at the overall ability just to connect with industry and now be able to go back and do it in person, we're so hungry to get back together. And I'm yes, together that. again, our theme, finally. You, you guys did a great job handling the virtual conference last year, but it just isn't the same. And I'm really thrilled that we're going to all be together. When you look at this next year and where we're going as an industry, what are you excited about and what worries you a bit? Well, let's start with the worry. The worry is 2020 was just an extraordinary, unusual year. And so we're going back to, quote, a more normal situation. So there's going to be upward pressure on rates. 
with inflation where it is, with the FOMC making announcements about changes in their purchasing of mortgage-backed securities. And you sort of see that tightening between the spread in the 30-year mortgage rate and the 10-year treasury. You see that tightening up a bit. So that's going to be tough. But at the same time, there are opportunities. Again, we're not in a situation where there's no demand for housing. We have this great group of millennials still that would like to purchase a home. We have some great housing and affordability initiatives that MBA is taking a lead role on Steve O'Connor. So that's something exciting to think about, bringing affordable homes to prospective first-time homeowners. That's exciting. Other things exciting, I would say MBA, the Open Doors Foundation is doing great. I mean, they are doing fabulous. What a time to be so active with COVID and helping those families in distress when they have a sick loved one is so important. So Open Stores Foundation doing very well and and helping a lot of families in distress. There's so many Um, wonderful stories around Open Doors and just to encourage our listeners to check out Open Doors. Many of you are already contributing to it. I have contributed to it. And I mean, it's that and Resbog and all the other things that are so important to keep our industry healthy and active and going down the right road. Marina, you do a lot of research. What are you seeing as it relates to technology? Certainly some encouraging developments there. How is that going to impact our industry in 2022 and beyond? Yeah, I would say it's a little bit of a mixed bag in terms of what we're seeing in terms of tech spend. There's the old adage that when you're very, very busy, the business folks simply don't have time to focus on technology investment. And then when you're not busy, they simply don't have the money. But at the same time, technology is part of us. And it takes different shapes. Obviously, there was the big focus on loan origination systems and point of sale and compliance over the past 10 years. And now we've kind of moved with the pandemic to focusing on closing processes and improving through technology. And so I think that's going to continue. But unfortunately, there are some areas like simply data privacy issues, issues with hacking, data security, and those are costs of what I hear from lenders are just not going to go down. You hear about ransomware, it's real. And so that's going to be a focus, not just in mortgage, but all of financial services. And so it's something that we're paying a lot of attention to. But sure, I think there could be disruption because of technology. I think especially with consumer direct, it's always hard to prove the return on investment for technology in mortgage because mortgage is so tied to interest rates and what's happening with interest rates and refi swings. But I would say that I heard from several lenders recently that in their consumer direct channel, those technology investments certainly helped to boost the sales productivity in consumer direct in particular. And when they have a big refi wave like they did in 2020, it was made possible. They were able to get more widgets through because of the technology investments they had made. You bring up consumer direct. Is that a a fad or is that a trend? Are we seeing consumer direct? What is your research revealing? Well, if we look at the different production channels, retail, consumer direct, broker wholesale, and correspondent, consumer direct was definitely the most profitable. We saw net production income 
over 250 basis points in some of our peer groups in 2020. That's just unbelievable. The issue with Consumer Direct is it's almost all refinancing. Mm -hmm. So the retooling to convert Consumer Direct refinancing into a purchase channel is very difficult. So for instance, if you go back and you look at 2018, there were pretty substantial net losses incurred in Consumer Direct for some of our peer groups. I would say that it's a really good channel if you look at the breakout of Consumer Direct between your servicing portfolio retention, Consumer Direct, and new customer acquisition. Servicing portfolio retention in general does better profitability-wise. So certainly, if you have a servicing portfolio, could be a very important channel. Even if it's just to handle the orphan loans and you throw back loans to the original retail loan officer, it could be very useful to lenders with servicing portfolios. There's so much we could go into. We're out of time. I appreciate you so much. I appreciate what you have done at the MBA for 21 years and also what the MBA does for our industry. Thank you so much for taking time to record this interview that we could share with our listeners during the conference. Thanks, David. Again, thank you to Marina Walsh for being on the podcast. Folks, that wraps up this week's podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Share this with others. I wish I could bring all of you here to this conference and have you listen to all that is being talked about here. It's so important that you get involved with the MBA and you start coming to these conferences. We're back together and we're meeting. So good to be back together here in person at these conferences. There's an old saying my parents used to have. It said, make new friends and keep the old. One is silver, the other is gold. I'm so grateful for the new friends we're forming and getting here at the National Mortgage Banking Conference in San Diego. And we're also so thrilled to see all the old friends. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, CMLA, Lenders One, Accelerate Mobility MMI, as well as Modix and the MBA. Also, Knowledge Group, Mortgage Collaborative, of course, NAPDOCS. Very excited about their sponsorship and a partnership with them. Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. Have a great week, everybody. Look forward to seeing you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.